was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Today, I am honored to be joined by my guest, Broadway veteran Chuck Cooper. Chuck Cooper is a Tony Award-winning actor for The Life, and has also appeared on stage many other times in Getting Away with Murder, Whistle Down the Wind, Caroline or Change, Choir Boy, Prince of Broadway, Passion, and many others. On screen, he has appeared in Malcolm X, An American Juror, and Sarah Bareilles's Little Voice. He has also appeared in Act One and Much Ado About Nothing, both of which were recorded for PBS's Great Performances. I hope you enjoy our conversation. You, how did you first get into theater? I would say the theater got into me at a very early age because um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and my both my parents participated in a community theater there called Caramu House, uh, which is a, you know, amateur theater uh, group. And so I was exposed to the theater at a very young age. And uh, I also actually went to nursery school uh, in that theater. Oh. So all these theatrical people and things were always around me. I don't remember not being around the theater. Uh, but I, uh, I didn't cho choose it as a vocation until I went to college. Um, when I went to college, I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to have fun, whatever it was. And so I went to my freshman orientation and the um, instructor uh, of my little orientation group happened to be a professor in the School of Theater and he asked me you know what my interests were what I'd done in high school and I in high school I sang in the choir and whatnot and so he suggested uh, uh, that I take the freshman track in the uh, theater department and I thought well well I, I didn't really plan on that I, I kind of thought of, I was going to go to the School of Radio, Television, and Communication and uh, learn how to be a disc jockey. Because I figured being a disc jockey would be fun, playing records all day. <laughs> um, so I tried the freshman track and found that I liked it and met some success. And so I started all through my freshman and sophomore years. And then in my, uh, prior to my, um, junior and senior year, you had to audition for what's called studio because it was a, um, uh, what do you call it? It, it, was, um, it was a program that you had to audition to get into. Um, and so I auditioned and I got in and met with more success and found that I liked it. And so I stuck with it, went through those two years, graduated and moved to New York and, um, became an actor. So 
who were some of your early mentors and teachers? Wow. Uh, well, earliest, my earliest mentor and perhaps most influential mentor would have been my high school choir director, whose name was Claire T. McElfresh. He taught me how to sing. And uh, not only did he teach me how to sing, he, um, he let me know that uh, I actually have talent for it. And he fostered that and nurtured it. Um, and so in, the, in that high school choir, I, I was a soloist and sang in quartets and uh, it was a very, I, I didn't realize it at the time I auditioned for it and um, got in, but it was a very prestigious choir. They toured the country and, um, and cut records and did all kinds of incredible things, did concerts and everything. And so um, Mac, as we call him, I think would be my first and probably most influential mentor. And then let me think. Oh, um, there would have been a, a guy named um, Jay Harnick who gave me my equity card. Uh, he was uh, he was a mensch, as they say. He. Um, he hired me when I first got to New York, gave me my equity card, gave me work, and gave me lots of work. I worked for several years for them, where I was able to move on to more lucrative jobs. Because that was that was a children's theater operator. And it's kind of the bottom of the rung for equity union jobs. It's a union job, and it's a job, but it's the bottom of the rung. So, I know you were saying that in your college theater, you met with success pretty quickly. Was that true for you in New York, too? Or? It was. I got my equity card the first week I was there. Oh. Wow. Which is rather outstanding. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize it at the time, but yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And I got my equity card the first week I was there and I was working. I, I, I worked fairly consistently there were definite droughts definite lean times many of them actually but that said I, i've been blessed with a lot of work and a lot of different kinds of work so one of your first credited shows was the play colored people's time at the negro ensemble company so how did you get involved with that well uh that that job happened uh, as as numerous jobs do. Someone was hired to do the part that I was hired to do, and the person who was originally hired got a better job or something and was not able to do it. And the last minute, they literally called me up, said, you "Want a job?" And I said, "Yeah." And they said, "Well, get the rehearsal today." <laughs> that's that's kind of how I got that job. So would you say that there was, it, mostly the jobs you've gotten have been through auditions or through being called like that? Most of them have been through auditions. A few of them have been referrals from friends. And now that I have been around for 
a while. Been around the barn a few times. They tend to offer me jobs now for the theater, not for television and film. Television and film, I still have to audition. So do you ever turn down jobs or? Often. <laughs> Especially now. Because now I'm, I'm in a situation where I'm uh, collecting my pension. I have income. Uh, I, I know I can support myself with what I have coming in, so I don't have to take a job. Many times you would take a job because you had to. You may not have wanted to do it or you may not have liked whatever the show was or whatever, but you had to do it because it was a job. Um, nowadays, I'm very picky. So I want to ask you about your Broadway debut, which was the musical Amen Corner. So how did you come to do that? That audition was what they call an open call. Back in the day, before computers, before cell phones, before all of this, actors would go to the newsstand, pick up a magazine called Backstage. There were two of them, Backstage and Showbiz. And in these magazines, producers would buy advertising space for an audition for a show that they they wanted to do a show they would there was two ways they could cast it they could go to agents or they could go and put ads in backstage and have what's called an open call and an open call you know all all actors in new york are reading these magazines so everybody shows up at you know seven o'clock in the morning and somebody puts up a piece of paper on the door and everybody signs their name and you don't get there early enough, you could be number 200 on the list. And so they, they, have, they didn't have the audition. And generally for those open calls or cattle calls as they're sometimes called, you have um, eight bars. They'll, because there's so many people, they, they can't hear a song or two songs from everybody. So they give you eight bars. Give them your best eight bars of music. And uh, I did that, and I got a call back, and they offered me the job. So it, did that experience of doing that show make you want to do more, or was it discouraging? Uh, that, that experience, um, I would say, honed and hardened me to the vagaries of show business because that was not a successful show. But my first Broadway show, I, I doubt if we ran a month. Um, and and uh, as, a, as a result of being in it, I was able to learn what should happen in a show and what shouldn't happen in a show and what kind of artistic uh, level of all the different positions need to be at in order for the show to be a success. And so um, it taught me a lot. It taught me uh, uh, who's a good director, who's not. It taught me who's, who's uh, a good producer and who's not. And, and um, I, I learned a lot in that show. I also learned not to put all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> 
So your next show was more of a success, which you were a standby on Neil Simon's rumors. So huh. being a standby, were you ever called in at the last minute? Oh God, yeah. Yes, I was standing by for uh, um, an actor by the name of Charlie Brown, who's no longer with us. And um, let me first say that understudying or standing by, as it's sometimes called, is the hardest job in, in the theater. Because you don't get the benefit of a lot of rehearsal nor do you get the benefit, you get, you get one, what they call put-in rehearsal. And that's where you get to do the show with everyone who's doing the show at night and not the other understudies. There's a one understudy rehearsal a week, one a week. And you do that rehearsal with the other understudies. So you don't have the costumes, you don't have the lights, you don't have the people who are really doing it, you don't, you don't have anything. And, and you also have this stage manager directing you and very often stage managers are stage managers and not just directors very often there are a few that that, uh, that can do that but more often than not it is uh, and so um, I don't remember a specific incident but I definitely went on um, you know uh, you have to show up at 7 30 prior to the eight o'clock curtain. And I, I just remember showing up and they go, you're on. <laughs> and your heart goes, oh my God, I'm on. <laughs> then you get your costume and you try to get it together and go out there and do a good job. So was that show challenging because it is a farce? That is very challenging because the timing of everything is crucial. And, uh, Fortunately, the part that I was covering was a small part, and it and it had a, a definite beginning and a definite end, and it was it was not like the other parts that were in and out and, and very much more complicated. My 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 part was basically I, I came on stage, took command, and then left. Later. So at this point in your career, did you think of yourself more as an actor or a singer? That's interesting. That's a great question. Um, I always think of myself first and foremost as an actor. Um, I think that is where uh, the um, bulk of my talent and um, my interest and my proclivity lies. Uh, however, I am capable of singing. I can carry a tune. <laughs> and so um, I, I have enjoyed being in plays and I've enjoyed being in musicals. And I, uh, I, I, can't, I, I, can, I can't tell you which I enjoy most. I mostly enjoy whatever it is I happen to be doing at the time. Yeah. So your next show was a show that you did off-Broadway, The Life, and then seven years later you did it on Broadway. So explain how you got involved in it at first and then how you got involved in it again. Well, that journey was an amazing journey. Uh, that again was an open call for the, um, the off-Broadway 
it was it was even off Broadway. It was off off Broadway. It was it was what they call a workshop, and it was done down in a small little theater way downtown called West Beth. And um, I, you know, same process. Uh, well, this time I think I had an agent. I had an agent at this point, and my agent submitted me for this workshop. And a workshop is basically where the writers and the producers put on a scaled down version of the show so they can get actors to learn the part and, and they can get an idea of what needs to be fixed, what works, what doesn't work, that kind of thing. So I, I auditioned and, and, and I got in the show and it happened to be uh, written by Mr. Cy Coleman. And it was co-written by Cy Coleman and Ira Gassman. And at that point it was directed by pretty famous director at that time by the name of Joe Layton. So we did the show and it was whatever. And we all thought, well, that's the end of that. Uh, but um, every like, I don't know, every couple of months, we get a call from Cy and he'd say, well, you know, we're doing a backers audition. We're trying to get money together to put it on Broadway and we need, we need to sing a couple of songs for the, for the money people. Would you come and, and, and sing your song? And, uh, and they paid us like a hundred bucks every time they did this. Well, they did this every couple of months for seven years. We started to think, well, this ain't ever gonna happen. First of all, I mean, first of all, it's Psych Holman. Psych Holman can't get money. Who can? Um, but as it turned out, they finally got the money, and at, by this point, Joe Layton had died, uh, and they had to get a new director. So we thought for sure that, you know, when a new director comes in, he's going to cast it or recast the show uh, uh, based on his vision of what the show should be. But uh, to his credit, Cy Coleman insisted that uh, Lilius White, Pamela Isaacs, and Sharon Washington, and myself, who did the original workshop, the four of us, he insisted that this director take us to do the Broadway production. And he did. And that is how I got to do it on Broadway. So what was it like to work with Cy Coleman towards the end of his career? Was he always generous? Sai was, he was amazing. Um, I'll never forget going to Sai's office and having him play my song for me. There's a special thing that happens when, when and a, an accompanist, as it were, and a singer join together to sing a song, to perform a song. And sometimes people people are proficient, but there's that extra special thing that some uh, pianists have and composers have that locks in and 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 they actually breathe with you and they actually phrase the song with you and they actually it's it's like riding on a magic carpet you know that the carpet is there and it's soft and, and, and but yet you can fly 
and that was what it was like to 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 stand next to Cy at the piano, and and he had these short little stubby fingers, and you couldn't figure out how the heck is he playing that beautiful music with these short little. I mean, really, they were like little stump fingers, and uh, you know he was he was a very famous jazz musician before he worked in the theater, and. I've never heard anybody play piano like him since. So I want to ask you, what was sort of, how had the show changed between its workshop and then you doing it on Broadway? Oh God, um, uh, they did some pretty substantial changes. Uh, I think when we did it down at West Beth, there wasn't so much a focus on the friendship between Sonia and Queen, but the Broadway production really honed in on that. And he he wrote a new song for for uh, Lilius and Pam called "You Are My Friend." Great song, classic song, awesome song, one of the best duets ever written. Um, and so that was new. Um, I think how how I played the bad guy, and uh, I remember <laughs> in the West Beth West Beth production, somehow I I I got I die I, I they kill me I, I you know the bad guy gets his comeuppance, but I died like downstate center, and you don't want a dead body downstate center. <laughs> it's kind of hard to do the next scene, you know, the dead body or the set on stage. So when we did it on Broadway, I I died. I got shot upstage, right by the wings, and kind of get shot and fall down, and then there's a blackout, and it's easy for me to go. Um, and that was different. Uh, and, and I think the West Beth, I got stabbed, and then on Broadway, I got shot. Um, what else was different? There were a number of things that were different, but I, I can't remember because it was a while ago. So I assume that during this long process and during the seven years where you would do a workshop or a backers audition, did you become very close with the other cast? Uh, yes. Well, Lilius and Pam and Sharon and I became very close, and and to some degree still are. Um. Uh, lost contact with Pam, uh, but Sharon and Lilius are uh, still very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. So I want to ask you, you certainly were busy during the time between the Off-Broadway and Broadway. One of the things you did was a few plays actually at Playwrights Horizons. So did you like doing sort of a more developmental thing? Developmental theater, oh yeah, it was big fun. Um, yeah, uh, I, I loved working at, I, I loved working, period. Um, but yeah, I had a, I did a Michael John Lacusa opera at, um, like an operetta kind of a thing uh, at Playwrights and, oh yeah, I think I did Police Boys, and uh, which was a play, straight play, very violent, dark, Moody play. 
um, yeah, I, 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 I have fond memories of, of working there in playwrights and, and the things that we did. And I met my good buddy Don Scardino there. Oh. So going back to the life for a second, I want to ask you, you won a Tony for that show, so what was it like? I did. You did. Really? Get out of here. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm joshing. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, 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 I want a Tony. Amazing! <laughs> Can't believe that happened. Were, were you surprised or were you sort of expecting to win? Okay, I'm going to let you in on a teeny tiny secret. Okay? For some reason, I don't know why. I had this feeling. I shouldn't have had this feeling. Because A, it's show business. And B, I was up against uh, some of the most amazing actors in the business. Andre DeShields and, and, and uh, Joel, uh, I forget Joel's last name, Joel Bloom and, and uh, uh, Mr. Harris. Oh my God. Giants, you know, and you know, they, they easily could have won and perhaps should have. Um, but for some reason, in my head, I thought I was gonna win. I was like, why am I, why do I think that? But I just, I just thought I was like, chill out, you got this. <laughs> and so when they called my name, uh, the night of the Tonys, as the winner, I was so surprised that I was right. I, I was right, and I want to tell you, oh my God. You know, you know the movie um, Star Wars? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you know the the, the, the Millennium Falcon? You know? The yeah. Luke, Luke's, uh, uh, Han Solo's ship. Okay, when the Millennium Falcon in Star Wars goes into light speed. There's like this special effect where all the stars just go <laughs> like that. That was like that was what it felt like when they called my name. It was like, and the winner is Chuck Cooper and went <laughs> and everything went in slow motion. <laughs> Except for when I got up to the podium and started to speak and then Everything was going really fast. Oh. I, there's a there's a clock in the back of the Radio City Music Hall. You know, I think you had, I don't know, thirty seconds or sixty seconds to give you a little spiel. And I remember the, the arms of the clock were going. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was I was trying to talk and I was trying to talk and I couldn't talk and I got tongue tied and oh, I was I was very silly. <laughs> So I want to ask you another thing you did during this time between 1990 and 1997, I think was, well, your first experience with Soundtime was being an understudy on his musical Passion. So what? how much of an interaction did you get to have with him? Zero. No. <laughs> I was an understudy. So as I mentioned before, understudies are just hangers on the stage manager, a lovely woman, 
uh, Beverly Randolph. She was the stage manager. She unfortunately is no longer with us. Um, she put me in the show. She taught me all all the things that I didn't know. And that that was that was a really hard and study assignment because I had I was what's called a swing. Okay, so now there are understudies and then there's and musicals. They don't have this in place, but in musicals they have swings. A swing is a person who swings from part to part. I had six different tracks, six different actors that for for whom I had to know their material and their 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 the track, their path through the show. And I think I went on for four of the six uh, over the course of, of the run. But, but uh, I, 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 I never, I didn't really have much of a conversation with, uh, with Steve. I, I, I had more of a uh, he was. I did a show that Billy Porter conceived and directed called Being Alive, which was based on Sondheim's incredible music. Uh, so the, the music was Sondheim with an African-American musical vocabulary infused into it. And the book or text was from Mr. Shakespeare. Beautiful beautiful, exquisite combination. I, I wish that, 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 I, that show should, should have done something, uh, but it didn't. But nevertheless, um, Steve was around for that. And um, I wouldn't say that, you know, we're buddies or anything, but, you know, I got, I got to chat with him a bit. And, and, um, and later when uh, I did the life, he came to the show and he wrote me a lovely note that I still have oh. a, a handwritten note from Stephen Sondheim uh, congratulating me on my performance. That's great. One of my favorite things. <laughs> so I want to ask you this, which is that was your last time understudying or standbying, I think, at least on Broadway it was. So do you, okay. think, do you think that that was, or that there was like sort of a turning point in your career where you became like the star that you are now? <laughs> Am I a star now? <laughs> um, turning point. Just about every day is a turning point. Every day that you um, are able to be grateful for all the things in your life. Every day that you learn something new is a turning point. And so um, I don't know that I can point to a specific day or event or show that was a turning point. Uh, they, they, they all were bricks in the road of my journey. So you were saying that you didn't have much contact with Sondheim on that show, but did he remember you when he was hiring you for your next show, which is his play, Getting Away with Murder? Oh, uh, did he remember me? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and uh, I was hired for that show by Jack, Jack O'Brien, the director. Oh. 
I'm, I'm sure Mr. Sondheim had some say about it, um, but I don't recall talking to him about, yeah, I remember when I was an understudy in Passion? I, 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 don't, I don't think we talked about that so much. And uh, I only did, uh, um, well, you know, that was not the, the other, other one you said was not the last time I understudied because this Sondheim show that you just mentioned, um, Getting Away with Murder, uh, started out at the Old Globe in San Diego. And I think the title was different. It was uh, called The Doctor Is Out. I was hired to do that in San Diego. When they moved the show to Broadway, they dumped me. They, they, uh, I was told by the producer, Roger Berlin, that they needed to up the marquee ante, which is to say they needed an actor of more stature than myself to play the part. And they hired a gentleman by the name of Frankie Faison to do my part, or to do my part. It wasn't my part anymore, it was his. Uh, and so I, I asked them, once I realized that I had been dumped, uh, I had, I don't know, two kids at that point, so, and I thought I was gonna have a job, and you know, I'd been kind of coasting, thinking I got this Broadway show coming up, uh, and I didn't, and so uh, I had my agent call them up and ask them if I could understudy, and they graciously uh, allowed me to understudy a Broadway run, which was called Getting Away With Murder, which I like to say did not. <laughs> it was a flop. It, it didn't do anything. So was that, when I was researching you and researching this show, there were a lot of big stars and what must have been big egos in that room. So was it difficult or? What, in uh, Getting Away With Murder? Yeah. yeah. It was it was not it was not difficult it, it was difficult to swallow my pride and and understudy a role that I had had originated. That was difficult. It was difficult. Uh, you know, my friend Becky Baker, who's one of the finest actresses I know, was also not uh, was kicked to the curb, and uh, that was that was a drag. But uh, again, I was understudy, so I never had anything to do with them. Um, basically, I went on, I think, I? no, I never went on for that. I never went on. Oh, do you, do you think the play was a good play? I mean, obviously, Sondheim didn't write another one, or at least one. Well, the, the play was, was tragically flawed. Um, uh, for another, for a number of uh, dramaturgical reasons, uh, <laughs> it was also flawed. <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know, sometimes there's just a, a curse <laughs> on things. Um, when they moved the show to Broadway, they took the set from the Old Globe to Broadway. Someone didn't measure right, and the set from San Diego was too big for the Broadway stage. Oh. So what they did was there was a portion of the set that was an elevator scenes happen in an elevator. And so they put that off stage. Okay, so you get to Broadway's theater, you know, the proscenium, people are seeing, I don't know, the major part of the set, but the part of the set where the elevator is, is in the wings. So they put a TV camera in, in the elevator set. 
that no one can see and put uh, TV screens around the proscenium so that whenever a scene was played in that elevator in the corner over there, people had to watch it on TV. <laughs> so people were watching, going to a Broadway show and watching TV. Not real good, okay? The reviewers, they, they kind of frown on that. <laughs> and, um, and I also remember one night, um, at the end of the first act, the, um, the psychiatrist uh, who has these uh, six uh, patients who he hates and is really tired of listening them, listening to their their you know different troubles and whatnot because each of the the patients was uh, was a personification of one of the one of the deadly sins seven deadly sins so all seven people in the in the company were one of the deadly sins. Nevertheless, at the end of the first act, in a fantasy, uh, because we have to have the second act, uh, he pulls out a revolver in, in, in his you know, mind that he's, he's just dreaming about doing this. And he pulls out a revolver and shoots all of his patients. Well, uh, one night, the gun didn't work. And so, he ran around the stage, <laughs> strangling each one of them. <laughs> yeah. So, the show had problems. Yeah. So, in a way, do you think you were glad you weren't? Yeah. Was Was I glad I wasn't in it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was. I was really glad that they were paying me, and I could just sit up in my dressing room and twiddle my thumbs. Okay. Well, the next show you did was Whistle Down the Wind in Washington, D.C., the world premiere. So you had kids at that point. So was it, in, was it a hard decision to go to Washington, D.C.? Or? Uh, it wasn't a hard decision. It was one of those situations where I needed a job. That was the job. So that's where I went. Took okay. the kids with me. I took, uh, took Lily and Alex with me, I think. Well, maybe just for part of it, but yeah. Um, that was a really horrible show. <laughs> it was really bad. That was one of the worst shows I ever did. Oh, so did you get to work with Andrew Lloyd Webber on that? Or was he? Not really, because Andrew Lloyd Webber at, back then was really weird. You know, he wouldn't look anybody in the eye. He wouldn't talk to anybody. He was so Poor man. I, I guess he had some kind of trauma or something, but um, he was he was less than social. So was mm -hmm. but, um, that was where I I got to work with uh, Hal Prince. Oh, the great Hal Prince directed that. Not his best effort, but you know, can't win them all. <laughs> so, what do you think about? I want to ask you this in general. Not now, but then, if you got a script that you thought it wasn't great, would you do it anyway, or? Depends on my situation. Depends on how broke I was. <laughs> now, no. Then, maybe. <laughs> so, the next thing you did was a replacement in the revival of Chicago. So, how did you come to do that? Were you asked, or did you audition? 
I think they asked me to do that. I think that was one of the first times that I was just offered a part. And it wasn't really, uh, they weren't really offering me the part, per se. What they were offering me was to do the part while the star, who whoever that was, was on vacation or between stars or something like that. So my contract was for nine weeks. So they hired me to do it for nine weeks uh, in between whoever had done it before. And I think George Hamilton was coming in to do it. And he was a big TV star. They wound, they wound up extending my nine weeks by a week or so because Mr. Hamilton had trouble learning his lines. Um. Yeah. But, Oftentimes, television actors who are not brought up in the theater have a hard time with eight shows a week. Eight shows a week is no joke. Eight shows a week is not for the faint of heart. Not everyone can do it. Yeah. So when doing this role, a lot of people have sort of gone in and out of it, like you said in the revival. How did you sort of, as an actor, like make it your own role? Um... Well, that's just part of the process that you come to develop over the years um, and knowing what your tricks are and knowing what trick is required or what the, what the script is asking for, what the playwright is asking for, and finding that within yourself so that you can bring some level of honesty, truth, and realism to it. And so, uh, and, 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 you know, that part is really just, there's, there's not a lot there. It's just a, yeah. uh, a brash lawyer, greedy lawyer, who, you know, uh, uses people. Um, so, so I did that really easy. <laughs> Had you seen the show before? I probably saw it when I was about to do it or something like that. I don't, I don't think I had, I didn't pay money to go see it. Yeah. I rarely pay money to go see anything. <laughs> I'm always curious when you come into a show like that, how much direction do they give you or is it mostly something you have to do? Very often, uh, especially for understudies and for that situation, they basically want you to be a robot and do what was done before. Yeah. Occasionally, you can insert something of yourself that is somewhat different. But the basic structure and everything is pretty much set. Uh, and there, there's room, little room for um, improvements. <laughs> yeah. So the next show you did, you did from the ground up, from the public theater to Broadway, which was Caroline or Change. So what was it like oh, yeah. to work with George C. Wolfe on that? George C. Wolfe is an amazing guy. He's um, really, really smart. Really, really specific. Um, and really, really talented. Mm. Um, and so he 
was partnered with two other collaborators, artists who were equally smart, talented, and brilliant in the persons of Jeanine Tesori and Tony Kushner. Um, each in their field are non-pareos, unequal. Um, and so uh, that trio carved out something that will, I believe, stand the test of time. Yeah. Is it intimidating to be in a room with three giants like that? Or? Not really. Um, not, not, not really. I mean, you want to do your best work. You want to um, show up and, and you don't want anybody doubting that you should be in the room. Um, but, you know, they're, they're human beings, you know. They, they burp, they fart, just like everybody else, you know. <laughs> so how was it different to work on that show at The Public and then on Broadway? Very different, very, uh, very different. I mean, the, the public run was, to my mind, the best because it was very intimate. It was in a much smaller space than obviously than the Broadway theater. And so the effect of the show, the, the, the energy and, and, and catharsis of the show was much more palpable. The, the 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 audience was was just devastated. Yeah. It was that was true for Broadway, but uh, when it moved to Broadway, they had to blitz up certain things and make things bigger and kind of puff things out a bit for Broadway musical. Um, which I don't think any of that really hurt the show. It was just uh, Kind of a practical thing that was that they felt was necessary, um, and you know, you're in a bigger house, and the energy is just slightly different. Um, and so, while it was, uh, um, I'm sure many folks were removed and 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 enjoyed enjoyed it on Broadway. Those who saw it off Broadway say it was quite a thing. Yeah. So your role in that production, you're credited as the dryer and the bus. So what, yeah. what exactly did you do? Okay, so the story revolves around a maid, played by Tanya Pinkins, and a little boy named Noah, played by Chad. Chad's last name, oh my God. Um, and their relationship. And it's mostly about the maid. And uh, the maid has two children, a daughter and a little boy. Well, she has three children. One you never see because he's in Vietnam. But um, she has these two children. And basically the story is about how hard it is 
for this maid to 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 work in this uh, Jewish household with this uh, young boy who is kind of her boss, but is also a child, and uh, and and all manner of things tangle up in that. Race tangles up in that. Um, gender tangles up in that. Um, uh, there's a generational thing that gets tangled up in that. And so, um, I forget now, what was your original question? What did you ask me? Oh, I was asking you just about the role you played as the driver. Oh, the role of, okay, so, so, okay, so it's about this maid. And she works primarily in the basement. Now, I know the play takes place in New Orleans. And in New Orleans, there is famously in the play, they say uh, there's no underground in New Orleans because New Orleans is below sea level. And if you dig down and you just get like a bunch of muck and, and whatnot. But this particular house does have a basement and it's very moist and hot. And she does the laundry there. And the, the dryer, which is one of the parts I played, is this dryer that spews out this hot heat on her as she does her job. She's got to do the, the dry the clothes with this hot uh, uh, dryer and iron them. And she's just in this basement that's all moist and damp and whatnot. And so um, uh, what Tony did was he made certain things in her life, he personified them. He made them people. So the washer and the dryer that she works with every day were personified and, and spoke to her. And the radio that she listens to every day was personified into these fabulous, this fabulous trio of amazing singers. And, um, and uh, so th that, that's how those things were personified. But then one of the events or one of the major events uh, in that show and in American history is the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And so Tony chose to bring that news into the play by uh, making use of a messenger, like in Greek theater. Uh, and this messenger uh, is the bus. The bus comes in and sings about, sings the news, brings the news that the president is dead. Oh. So the bus is personified. Um, it, 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 that, that particular character, like the dryer's the dryer, the, the radio's the radio, the, the washing, washing machine is the washing machine. Bus is kind of an amalgam of a lot of different things. The bus is the Greek messenger. The bus is uh, borrows from uh, African culture as the, the griot, the person who brings news or has the story to tell. Um, and uh, and also uh, the um, there's a character in uh, in New Orleans who who leads funerals and he has a bowler hat and umbrella and that kind of thing. 
So it, it, he, uh, they kind of borrowed from a number of different uh, stereotypes, if you will. Um, and, and that's what, what the bus became. The bus, the, the journey of, of, of what I was actually going to, what my costume would be was, I mean, I, it was a lot. I mean, if I, they actually built a, a bus on me one time. I had like, you know, headlights and windshield wipers and the whole thing and jorts and like that. And the funny thing is what they came up with, with, with is uh, a cart. And uh, I pull a cart and above the cart, there's a sign like a bus would have that oh. says the bus line. So did you enjoy sort of being part of this show from the ground up? Or do you more enjoy coming in later? Or? I enjoyed the journey of this show because it, it had quite a journey. Um, my first experience with it, way back before we did the, the production at the public, was Tony asked a bunch of us to, this is before Janine was attached to it, and Tony was, I guess, showing it to George so that they could begin work on it. This is way, 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 way back at the beginning. And uh, they asked a bunch of us to come in. And they, he, knew it, he knew he wanted it to be a musical, but he didn't have any music or anything. So they asked us to improvise what he had written. And so uh, we had this command performance for uh, George. He was the only one sitting there in the audience as we read the script uh, on music stands and pretended to sing music that hadn't been written yet. But, but so that's where we began. And, and, and I remember saying to Tanya, you know, like, what is this? What is it? You know, what is, what's with the, the bus and the radio and the dryer singing? What, what's going on? And, she would say, don't worry, they're going to fix it. <laughs> and um, and they did. <laughs> so the next show you did was Lennon, the John Lennon musical. So that musical had an interesting concept for the listeners who don't know. It was actors of different genders, ages, races, playing John Lennon at different mm -hmm. sort of stages. So what did you think about that concept and how you sort of fit into it? Oh, I, you know what? That was one of the most fun shows I ever did because I was with a company. It was it was an, basically an ensemble piece, uh, even though the Lennon character landed more or less on 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 two or three of of the actors more heavily, shall we say? Um, but uh, everyone in that show was so vastly talented and so much fun. They were just, we just had so much fun. And, and, and that, that um, the culture of that show, the, the, the energy that I speak of that, that was so enjoyable came from the top, that came from Mr. Don Scardino. Um, and and, and it, was, it was his baby, it was his brainchild, his conceit. And um, we we just had a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Do you see a reason why, even though it was fun, why it wasn't as successful as some of the other things? 
uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know why. Um, because we did it in San Francisco, and then they improved it, and we brought it back to Manhattan, and people loved it. The There were, you know, folks who came several times to see it. Um, if you're a Beatles fan, which there are many, obviously not enough. <laughs> but um, I, I, I can't say why, it, you know. The only reason why is we didn't get enough butts and seats. <laughs> some some reason it didn't sell. Were you already a Beatles fan? And, and if, if, if I knew the answer to that, I could be a really rich man. <laughs> Did, were you already a fan of the Beatles? Did you already know most of the songs in the show? Oh, yeah. You, you, if you could have, can't be my age and have grown up in America and, and not know those songs. I mean, the Beatles were ubiquitous. The Beatles were, they were this amazing cultural uh, tidal wave that hit America. Yeah. So, yeah, I knew them well. And in working on this show, how much were you involved with? either Yoko Ono, who I know did work on it, or any of the living Beatles at any point? No Beatles uh, were, I never met any of the Beatles. I I'm very present because she had the rights, if you will, she had say so about, because it, it was it was a lot about John and she kind of owns John. And so um, she had, a lot of say about everything. And she was around. She is an interesting person. She, um, you know, she's kind of in a little, her little Yoko bubble. Um, and, but that's very understandable because so many people, this is so weird, people hate Yoko Ono because they think she broke up the Beatles, which is ludicrous. Because they were grown men and they just decided they didn't want to be Beatles anymore. She, you know, I, 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 some, for some reason, well, you know, there is misogyny. There is, you know, the fact that women are treated horribly in the world. Um, hence the song John Lennon wrote, the famous song, Woman is the Nigger of the World. Um, but uh so she she was somewhat guarded and somewhat um aloof but but sweet and nice um and but very present yeah so your next show was a revival on broadway that is it was a revival of finian's rainbow where you played mayor bill rockins so how do you approach a role when you're reviving it same way i approach any role because it's new to me. Uh, it may have been done before, but uh, the only thing that uh, I, I would do um, is something that has been done before that I saw. I didn't see any, I never saw a production of Finian's. Oh. But, um, you know, like when I would go into a show, the understudy or whatever, uh, and I had the benefit of seeing what it is I'm going into. What you do is you take what is there that is good, 
and you leave what is less good. <laughs> and so um, I didn't have the benefit of that for Finians. I just had to make it up, whatever. We, we all made it up as we went. Yeah. Do you find you enjoy working on revivals or originals more? I think I like original pieces more. Revivals are kind of a cheat. It's like, you know, that's already been done. Why do that again? I mean, that, that's, there's certain things that, you know, should be done again because they're so wonderful and people didn't get to see them and all like that. I get that. But it's not what I want to do. I want to do new work. So in that show, you played sort of the villain of the story. Is playing a villain something that comes easy to you? Or? Yes, yes, because I'm a really intrinsically an evil person. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, the bad guys are always the most fun. Yeah. Bad guys always get the fun stuff to do. The good guys are, you know, they got to be hunky, good-looking people, but, you know, whatever than that, you know, I mean, it's, that's no fun. When you get to be mean and bad and do bad things, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think about when you do revivals? Do you think they're better if they're really changed, or do you think they're better if they're left alone? It depends. It depends on the changes and why you're changing it and whatnot. Sometimes, sometimes they do revivals and they totally change things around and, and they do a good job of it. And other times they change things around and they're less successful. It's risky. Um, but uh, I understand the desire of uh, theater artists that, that tackle a revival understand the desire to put their stamp on it. Or as I like to say, everybody likes to pee on the tree. They just, you know, want to make, you know, that, that happens with Shakespeare a lot because Shakespeare has been done so much over the hundreds of years that it's been done that when someone does Hamlet, they're going to do an ultimate Hamlet. They're going to really glean the meaning no one else has discovered in the text. And they really tell everybody what, what Hamlet's really about. Yeah. So that, that. <laughs> that leads me into my next question, which is about your next Broadway show, which was Shakespeare. It wasn't Hamlet, but it was Romeo and Juliet. So uh -huh. I want to ask you, what do you think of what they did with that version? I thought that show was absolutely dreadful. Uh, with the exception of Condola. Uh, um, she was wonderful. She, she did a great job despite huge hurdles that were thrown at her. I thought David Laveau was uh, absent without leave. I thought his, um, the way he handled the direction of that show was dreadful. I shouldn't even say these things, but you know what? I don't care anymore. It was dreck. It was horrible. Oh, <laughs> oh it's so fun to say that. <laughs> for you yourself, though, outside of the bigger picture, was doing Shakespeare, had you done it before in school? Or? Oh, yes. I'd done lots of Shakespeare, and I love doing Shakespeare, and Shakespeare is... is you're a... Uh, 
an actor in the theater and you haven't done Shakespeare, you haven't really become an actor. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I love the bard um, singing his words. Uh, the, the, the most fun things I've ever done. I, I, I liken him to uh, Shakespeare and August Wilson are my favorites. Would you want to do Shakespeare again on Broadway? Under I would love to. I would, I would jump at the chance to do Shakespeare again. And you actually did, in the park, you did Much Ado About Nothing. Ah, yeah, right, yeah. Was that more pleasant? That was, yeah, that was fun. It was, a, it, was a, it was a fun show, and uh, it was really cool because that is, and, and that is a perfect example uh, of what you were talking about before, of, of taking, uh, uh, it's a revival of, of that show and putting a total new spin on it. It, made, it. They made it modern day, they made the, the, everyone was black, it was a black family, it was everything, that hadn't been done before, I don't think. So um, that was uh, really a big risk that apparently paid off. So performing in the park, that's a whole other challenge, but did you like doing that? You know what, I'm glad I did it. You should do it once. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Uh, I don't know that I need to do it again. I, 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 I you know, I, I might do it again, depending on the show. If they ask me to do Lear there, I might do it. <laughs> but um, it's 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 kind of it's a little difficult, you know, trekking through the park, and you got, you know, you're out there speaking, and a you know, big bug flies in your mouth, or you know, it rains on you, and you got to do it in the rain, and. Yeah. raccoons are backstage you know messing up your dressing room and I mean it's you know it's a lot but uh, that said it's a very unique New York experience uh, it's a very unique theatrical experience and I'm grateful that I got to do it well that and actually the next show I want to ask you about act one were both filmed so how do you sort of do it differently on stage when you're being filmed or do you you don't do a thing differently they do the cameras you just do your show and they move the cameras all around to get the different angles and the different shots you don't you don't have to think about anything at least i don't <laughs> maybe i should have but i didn't so next i want to ask you about act one had you known the original book when they asked you to do it had no clue about Moss Hart, didn't know, really didn't know uh, much about any of that stuff uh, prior to, to doing the show. What was it like to work with James Lapine on doing that? James Lapine, James Lapine, James Lapine. James is an interesting guy. James is a really interesting guy. <laughs> um, I worked with James several times, I guess. I worked with him on, I, I didn't work with him on Passion, I was in Passion. 
then I did a, a, a workshop of something called Muscle that he and Bill Finn wrote, or Bill Finn wrote, and he directed. And then we did this act one. James is a challenging director. Um, and, and I think that is because um, James is not the greatest people person. He's, he's, some people are, are people, people, and some people are not. And James is not a people person. And some directors have uh, actor vocabulary and some don't. And so, um, and, and, and see, James straddles several worlds because he, he's the writer and he's also the director. And, uh, and so his, his worldview is, 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 is much broader. And, uh, and so I think uh, there, there are times when that rubs up against uh, what, what, what the actor may need. Yeah. And, and so, um, that said, he, he he manages to produce and create some some really fine work. Yeah. So, who have been some of your favorite directors to work with? I would have to say Ruben Santiago Hudson. I would have to say Jack O'Brien. I love working with uh, Jay Harnick. <laughs> he was fun to work with. Most of the, the, the directors that I enjoy working with are the ones where we have fun in rehearsal, where, yeah. where it's so obvious that anything you do is, is worth a try and, and is safe. Um, and, and that just really puts oxygen in the room and helps the flowers to grow. Yeah. So one of the next shows you did was Prince of Broadway, which that was a show that was almost all about the singing coming off of you having done a bunch of plays on Broadway before that. So was that sort of refreshing to go back to singing? It was, it was really refreshing. And uh, it was also really nice to, to be in the room with Hal Prince, uh, with, that wound up being his last show. And, um, and just to hear the Hal Prince stories, it was incredible. I mean, it was, I'll never forget it. Um, and also, you know, I got, to, I got, I had fabulous material. I got to do Tevia. Yeah. Uh, got to do Old Man River. Um, stuff that, you know, I, there's, there's no way I ever would have got to do Tevia if Hal Prince hadn't cast me as it. So. Um, very, very grateful for that experience and, and for, again, a wonderful cast, uh, just an exquisite cast of, of heavy hitters. I mean, you know, you can throw a dart and, you know, whoever the dart landed on was hugely gifted. So um, that, was, that was big fun. Are there any of those roles you actually wish you could do in a full show? I'd like to do Tevia. <laughs> I, I think I could bring something to Tevia. I, I think um, 
is actually something very similar. Uh, the black experience in America is very similar to the Jewish experience in the pogroms. I, I think I could do it, Tevya. Yeah. I, I don't have much desire to do it on my river. I don't want to do Joe and Jobo. But um, Tevya, I, I, that, that would interest me. Yeah. So I, this was what I was wondering, actually, when I saw the show, which I loved. When you do, you were talking about your process that you do for a role. Did you have to do that nine times or did you not do it as much at all for all the different roles? Okay. Well, see, this was, this was, uh, this is a different kettle of fish. This is basically, um, um, this is Broadway. It's basically a musical review. Yeah. Um, uh, and so we were actually restaging numbers. Uh, you know, it, each number is kind of a little mini revival, if you will. Um, and so we, we, we endeavored to, um, to revisit each number in a way that was truthful to how it was originally done. Uh, that said, um, obviously it's very different for me to do Tevia than it would be for Zero Mostel. Um, but we, even so, uh, you know, I tried to be as true to the, to that character, to Tevia as, as Zero would have been. Um, yeah. um, and, uh, I insisted when we did, uh, that, that we changed the lyrics to Old Man River because uh, I wanted to do the lyrics that Paul Robeson uh, did as opposed to the lyrics uh, that were originally written. Um, and uh, Hal had, uh, took some issue with that initially, but then he came around and he realized that um, that the Robeson lyrics were 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 more apropos. Yeah. So another place where you've gotten to return to many roles is at Encores. You did Cabin in the Sky, Lost in the Stars, and Me and My Girl there. So Well oh, you you really have done your homework. My God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank you. The first, I don't know, three or four that I did, it was because it was a job. <laughs> but, you know, the 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 latter ones, I don't know how many, I, I think I've done maybe five or six of them. I can't remember now. Um, it's just, uh, it's just kind of fun, you know. The, the last one was, I think the last one was Cabin in the Sky. Was that the I last one? Me and my girl was after that, I think. Well, that was, uh, you know, they were both fun. They, you know, they, they, um, you know, it's just this whirlwind thing where, you know, less than like two weeks, maybe, I think we have to throw these things together. And uh, it, it was just fun. Yeah. I knew it was going to be fun. <laughs> Is it difficult to learn in two weeks or do you not have trouble? Um, it's, it's challenging, but I, I enjoy that challenge. I enjoy uh, having that, that deadline and that that pressure. There's something about that that I, I kind of like. So then, and it is difficult, and and 
and truth be known, we shouldn't do it. I, when I say we, us actors, we shouldn't do it because when producers know that you could do something in two weeks that you really should do in four weeks, they'll have you do it in two weeks. <laughs> so the last show I want to ask you about is your last Broadway show before the shutdown, which was Choir Boy. You had mm -hmm. sort of the same journey that you had with the life where you did a workshop in 2013 and then you did it on Broadway in 2019. Yeah. So yep. What was that process like? Well, very interesting process. Um, we did the off-Broadway incarnation up at City Center. Uh, and it was in a very small space. And um, I had a song in that one. And um, well, let me just say this, that it was, it was really neat to be a part of watching Jeremy grow as an artist. Yeah. From the time that we did the, the original to the time that we did it on Broadway. And the man is nominated for two Broadway shows. <laughs> it's like, wow, this guy is giant. He's a giant. He's like in his 20s. Um, it was wonderful to watch that talent be appreciated by everyone else. You know, I I got to see it. You know, it was, I think when we did that off Broadway show it was his first show. I think. Oh. And uh, and boy, he just went <laughs> after that. Um, and also, I met uh, Terrell McCraney on that show and. Uh, and uh, that was wonderful because he's such an exquisite writer. And um, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, it was a kind of a doty doty do. I was just like, did it. Yeah. It was the part I played was not, it wasn't like a, a leer or anything like that, but you know, it was, it was something that I, could grasp and um, it, that part didn't much change uh, from off Broadway to Broadway, but the show did in terms of its focus. Uh, it really focused on, on uh, Jeremy's part and, and really became his, his story more so. I mean, it was always his story, but it, it, I think it was really focused better. Uh, on his story, his journey, uh, his coming of age, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it was a lot of fun, especially it was, it was a lot of fun watching the, the, all of the younger actors who, who are uh, so talented and so it's like that, that it's like watching the next wave come. And, and it's a beautiful, well-formed wave. Yeah. And then the very last question I want to ask you is, what would you like to do after theater comes back? Encores, musicals, plays, Shakespeare? I would like to do Shakespeare and August Wilson. 
and I would like to uh, that's all I can think about that I really would like to do. I'm sure there's some other things that will pop up. But I, I want to do new work. I want to do work that is evocative and is challenging and is, um, uh, it does that wonderful thing that theater does, which, uh, which to me is it, it teaches empathy. I want to tell stories that people can come and, and witness and, and as a result of that witness, understand someone else or themselves. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. It was really a thrill to hear all your stories. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. And remember to come back next week when I am joined by Broadway actress Anita Gillette. Anita Gillette is a Tony-nominated veteran who has appeared in All-American, Jimmy, Cabaret, Kelly, Chapter 2, Don't Drink the Water, Brighton Beach Memoirs, Carnival, and more. She made a big splash with the song The Secret Service in Mr. President and was awarded a theater world for Russell Patterson's sketchbook. Her equally long and lauded movie career has spanned such illustrious projects as 30 Rock, Moonstruck, and Quincy M.E. See you then, and thank you for tuning in.